0: You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get
1: ready to change your life.
0: Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Santa Barbara, California. Today marks about, I think, two months of the day since my COVID-19 diagnosis. And I'm happy to say that I feel like I have finally recovered. Now, I'm out of shape. There's no doubt about it. These hiking trails that I used to do with ease are, are not so easy for me right now, but I don't know if I can any longer blame any illness for that, but I do think I am out of shape because of my long hiatus from the trails. But the good news is I think this thing I have, you know, I'm done with it. And I'm also happy to know, uh, that it seems to me that this thing is, uh, Getting close to becoming part of our history. You know, the recent announcement from the Biden administration that the uh, COVID 19 vaccinations, that everybody should be able to get it by the end of May, is pretty exciting to me. Now, uh, hopefully we don't go screw that up. In the meantime, uh, uh, obviously, there has been the uh, recent decision from in Texas uh, to pretty much stop the mass mandates and any kind of, uh, limitation on, um, on businesses, which I don't personally think is a great idea because I think, gosh, we're so darn close to the finish line. Why put any kind of risk to it in terms of having a significant, uh, bounce back in disease, but Hey, I'm not Texas. I am, uh, I own plenty of property in Texas, but, um, you know, people in Texas do what they're going to do, I guess. Uh, to me, again, it just seems like we're so close, and that's what I'm hopeful about. Uh, and I'm looking forward to the fact that I think that hopefully by the fall, life will start to really look potentially normal. And uh, that's really exciting to me. Uh, I think it's, I I know you have too, but I have had enough, enough of this pandemic life. and. um Anyway, listen, uh, it makes me think about uh, life in general and how it really it's not long enough to take advantage of the wisdom that comes with age. I mean, think about it. Obviously, none of us uh, were around uh, to see what it was like back in the pandemic of the, the Spanish flu uh, 100 years ago, but it certainly would probably have given us some insight into what life was like then. Uh, this whole thing, you know, life... Uh, in general, and our our ability to uh, gain wisdom through living, it's really kind of a cruel joke of nature if you think about it. I mean, I remember actually not too long ago, you know, maybe a year ago or so, that there was a a young syndicator uh, who's uh, you know in the podcast ecosystem uh, telling me that he thought that experience was overrated, and to me, uh, that's easy to think when you are indeed young and inexperienced, indeed experience does matter. I can tell you that from experience. You know, experience does matter because although history may not repeat itself, it certainly rhymes. And that is, you know, when it comes to your profession, when it comes to anything that, you know, within a period of time, uh, and you've been through a cycle or two, you just have a little bit more insight compared to someone who's not. Uh, Luckily for me, I'll say luckily for me, I'm not that old yet, although, you know, I mean, sometimes I certainly feel like it. You know, I'm seeing patterns, though, um, really that I can identify being through, you know, a cycle or two now. uh, I can see patterns in the economy and investing that, you know, I think my younger peers who are just starting out now uh, probably can't. In fact, I see how these patterns come to fruition and uh, how it is critically important to understand them. And that has made me want to learn more about history in order to compensate for those things that I have not yet experienced or seen. And to me, that's part of wisdom, is trying to uh, understand what it is you don't know and plugging those gaps. So anyway, this you know unique type of intelligence uh, that we gain is what is called wisdom. It's what we get over time we get from our experiences, it's hard to understand the importance of this kind of intelligence when you're young. I mean, I still remember my father telling me things uh, when I was a teenager that I completely blew off. It's nonsense that I realized later in life were profoundly true. This is absolutely the case. I remember asking my dad what was important about investing when I was in high school and this is before rich dad, poor dad, right? And my my dad, who is still an investor, is still a real estate guy, back then said that all he really cared about was cash flow. And I guess I didn't really even process what that meant. But then years later, I read, you know, Robert Kiyosaki's book, and all of a sudden I was like, cash flow, pure genius. Now, And then realizing that, you know, my dad was talking about that, about, you know, 15 years earlier to me. Why didn't I listen then? Anyway, these days, though, I am old enough to understand the value of wisdom. And when someone has been around longer than me and has some of that, you know, golden wisdom to share, I listen. Uh, because for me, and I think for anybody who really understands, wisdom is priceless. And I, for one, cannot get enough of it and listen. It may not be right, it may not be wrong, but it is perspective. And getting somebody's perspective who has more of a panoramic view of history and experience is invaluable. Now, my friend Russ Ray, he doesn't look that old. And you know, I'm not gonna say he's old, but he'll tell you he's been around for a while. And boy, does he have a lot of history and a lot of things to share. And I always love talking to him for that reason. And I think you're going to enjoy it, too, uh, as we discuss uh, what's going on in the world these days and uh, with the pandemic and real estate and all these things uh, when we come back after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is one half of the dynamic duo that makes up the Real Estate Guys radio, Russell Gray. And uh, Russ uh, was on the show actually not too long before COVID started, so it's an interesting perspective. And at that time, uh, he was telling us a little bit about uh, life after loss as uh, he had a major change in his life. And uh, and then COVID hit uh, shortly thereafter. But Russ, uh, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast.
1: Thanks for having me, Buck. It's good to be back, and congratulations on your show and your success. Thank I'm very you, proud of you.
0: I, I appreciate that very much, and uh, you know, it's been uh, it's been fun to share that with you, and and you know, uh, you guys had a big part in my, uh, uh, you know, you and Robert had a lot of a lot to do with me, sort of starting out in the podcast world, ultimately getting involved with real estate uh, in the way I am now, and uh, I. I Definitely appreciate that. Listen, I I want to, uh, you know, it's so interesting to me. We were talking offline here about you commented that you were old enough to see a lot of these uh, things happen in this country, and I always look at you and I'm like, you're not that old, uh, but I think you age really, really well in context of what you were telling me, remember? (laughs) So I want to put this COVID pandemic into context of all the things you've seen in your life. And I'm sure you've done that yourself in a way, is to look at, you know, your life and what's happened in this country and all these things that you remember. How do you think about this right now?
1: It's it's interesting. Uh, you know, we're mutual friends with Chris Martinson uh, mm-hmm. and Adam Taggart over at Peak Prosperity. And Chris was really on the front end of paying attention to this. He, he had was. a list yeah. had a list of almost a, a <clears throat> dozen different things that he was tracking, and he, one of which he felt could trigger a Uh, A chain of events. And I think he said number five on his list was a pandemic was never on my list. And so when he called me and said, hey, are you tracking this uh, coronavirus thing? Uh, That's what they were calling it back then. And uh, I said, well, I've heard a little bit about it, but I'm not paying attention. He goes, well, you need to pay attention because it's going to be big. And I said, okay, well, at that time I was one month removed from my wife dying and I was planning her funeral arrangements. And I had a lot of other things on my mind besides that, but in the back of my mind, uh, I was kind of paying attention to it. And then, um, I remember got another phone call and somebody said, Hey, I think it's time to start stocking up. And I waited just two weeks from the time I was told that. And then I ended up going into a grocery store uh, and i again, I, I was married for 41 years. My shadow never darkened the door of a grocery store. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I kind of was surviving on what was in the house and what my, my kids had bought, taken care of me when they were here. And uh, so I ventured out and the cupboards were, were bare for a lot of things and it was really quite amazing to me. And, and so then I thought, well, either this thing is very, very real, um, which I need to take seriously. So I got serious about my health. I was already serious about it. I got even more serious when my wife got sick. And then when COVID hit, I got even more serious than that and started really paying attention to building my immune system. But I also started, you know, working on developing a deep pantry uh, and then developing a real understanding. So one of the first things Robert and I did was we Mm -hmm. pulled in some cards that we have um, because we, you know, over the years have built some really great relationships, as you know, and uh, we we put together a COVID-19 panel and we interviewed Richard Duncan, um, who you know is a PhD economist, former advisor to the IMF, uh, Daniel Martino Booth, former Fed insider, mm-hmm. uh, Art Berman, oil guy who really isn't trying to pitch oil or defend oil, but just get you to understand what oil is and what it means to the economy and the dynamics that really drive the price and supply and demand and all that kind of stuff. Uh, We had Peter Schiff, of course, who was our most popular guest, by far. I mean, nearly 900,000 views on his yeah. video. It was insane. So we put together this whole group of folks and we just asked them, you know, what do you see? What are you hearing? What do you think? What should we be watching for? And uh, we put all that up on our YouTube channel. So it's still there. And a lot of it is still very, very valid. But uh, to me, the first thing was just to start to listen to people and get a 360 on people that were qualified to have opinions from maybe different perspectives. And it wasn't consensus necessarily. There was some, but, uh, but it was just that beginning of getting your eyes open. So it kind of started with that. And then, you know, from there, it was about the reaction. Is this reaction that we're getting from the authorities? Is this valid? Is this normal Uh, This isn't the first time we've had threats of diseases. And then the question is, you know, not so much from a policy perspective. I learned a long time ago that politics and investing don't mix because you have your political preferences, your political opinions, your coulda, woulda, shouldas of what you think they should do. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because they're not asking you. You just have to look at what they're doing and ask yourself, okay, based on what they're doing, what's likely to happen next? And how can I position myself? And so we put a lot of our emphasis on that. And I think we may have talked about some of that the first time, I don't know. Um, but I'm still pretty much just watching that rollout. You know, It's a slow motion train wreck. Uh, it doesn't mean they won't save it, but there's still a lot of wheels in motion right now that I think any investor needs to be paying attention to.
0: How do you think that um, this, uh, in terms of real estate, obviously you're real estate guy's Um, what surprised you during this last year if it did and, uh, and, and why, and, and what do you think happens next?
1: Well, I think one of the things that maybe was surprising was how strong the real estate market, especially mm-hmm. the housing market, yep. was. It wasn't surprising to see retail implode. That was happening before this, just accelerated it. It wasn't surprising to see industrial do well. That was already happening. Uh, I think that um, seeing the shift in out of out of going to work in the offices with the lockdown and the um, I think the the move to remote working, uh, and that that eventually became fairly permanent. I think a lot of companies have really embraced that as part of their permanent go forward plan, uh, absent disease or not. I think they've just realized, boy, we can offer our people a lot better lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, we can have more affordable payroll. People can live really where they want to live, which is more affordable than these expensive urban areas. Uh, so I think uh, how how badly some of the real major downtowns like a San Francisco or a a Manhattan got hit uh was probably a little surprising, but how really, really strong the housing market yeah. turned out to be. And there's a lot of factors there, but I think that was a little surprising. You'd think with all of the uncertainty in the economy, all of the uh, shutdowns and layoffs and business closures and failures, you would have thought that, that it probably would have been a little bit tighter than it's been. So that was a little bit of a surprise.
0: Yeah, no doubt. I think that was one of the things that uh, when when it all started, I think everybody was worried. And, and, uh, you know, we, we've got in our, uh, investor club, gosh, now half billion dollars of, of multifamily real estate under management. And it's, it was a, it was a little bit scary at first, but what was interesting is by, you know, um, I'd say, you know, a few months into it, it was pretty clear that this thing was a lot more robust than we thought it would be in the multifamily sector. And I think part of the, um, the fortune that, that we had in our group was because of where our real estate was too. Right. I mean um, it was working class Texas and working class Arizona. Um, you know, I, I kept hearing cause I live in uh, California, as you know, about people who owned real estate in Los Angeles, where people were f- just refusing to pay rent. We we didn't have that. We didn't have people <laughs> refusing to pay rent. You know, they just did. Um, you know, and 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 did whatever they could to make it happen. So we did have a, a maybe month or two of of some challenges, but man, it came back and it's been extremely robust. And I think it surprised. You know, even uh, you know guys like Kenny McElroy and stuff like that were really thinking this was going to be doom, gloom, you know, defaults. And well, it, it, it seemed like it was for retail. It was for office, um, but, uh, but it wasn't for us. And the curious thing that we're seeing right now uh, on the, you know, on the, on the multifamily side, Russ, and, and I'm sure you can talk to this too, is that a lot of that big money that was focused on, um, you know, office and hotels and, and retail, they're trying to find a new home. And they're headed toward us.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, and it, it, you know, you, any, anytime there's trauma in financial markets, money looks for a safe haven. Right. And real estate, uh, the right real estate in the right markets is that safe haven, you know. And I think that if you go back, even just in stock trading, the basic premise in stock trading is when things get choppy, focus on consumer staples, focus on the basics, focus on the things that people absolutely need in good times and bad. Well, obviously, housing fits into that. So there may not be home building going on, although there is. But uh, certainly, existing stock uh, is going to is going to have demand, especially if you get the market right. And um, so, I think that uh, I think that 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 natural gravitation of trying to figure out okay, what is the sweet spot in housing? Well, it's affordable housing, mm-hmm. and I think that we've all seen a. a, a pretty big spike in demand for mobile homes and mobile homes is kind of a fixed commodity. It isn't something that they're building a lot more new of. basically what's out there is what's out there and people are competing over it. And so I think there's a lot of uh, competition for that. Uh, But multifamily is something that can be built to add demand. It's something that, um, you know, institutional investors like it's bread and butter. And the other part of it is, is that it's got, uh, it's got great governmental support in terms of subsidized financing. Fannie Freddie, you know, that type of financing is available. So when you're, you're interested in being in a, in an essential asset class and you're trying to find a space in real estate, multifamily is the natural place to land. And it's not surprising at all that institutional money would would flood into it, which, you know, is, is good and bad. It creates opportunities for some people. It creates difficulties if you're out there looking for deals, yep. uh, but there's always, there's always crevices, you know, places to fit in. So it's, you have to work harder in a market like that.
0: Yeah. It, yeah, definitely. I mean, it has, it's up, it's good things and it's bad things. I mean, it's great for the real estate that we already own. I mean, the values gone way up, but, um, it's, it is harder to find uh, new, new opportunities that work and that pencil out, um, so now, uh, you know, I'm perhaps being uh, optimistic, uh, but I will say that I do think, um, you know, it looks like um, vaccinations at least will be, uh, you know, available by to everybody by the end of May. Um, you know, what you know, the end result being that mostly, um, I see this pandemic uh, largely becoming something that we can start, uh, you know, seeing an end to hopefully by the fall is my guess. And, you know, for me, when I look at, you know, all of the money that's coming into the economy right now, uh, in, in terms of QE, in terms of government spend, you know, government, uh, helicopter money, et cetera. Uh, and then, uh, you put that into context of incredible built up, uh, demand, uh, for, you know, doing stuff, you know, to me, it looks like the economy is going to boom, right? It just looks like we are going to have a serious boom, probably a bubble-ish boom. Uh, but you know, there's another possibility there. And, um, and because of the incredible amounts of money going in, uh, which is, uh, inflation with, uh, uh with, uh, basically un- higher unemployment, which is, known as stagflation, and I know that's something you've been concerned about. Do you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, stagflation is a concatenated word that has kind of made its way back into the lexicon these days, and it just means stagnant economy with inflation. Mm -hmm. And normally, inflation is a byproduct of uh, a robust economy, you know, and uh, you hear Jim Rickards talk a lot about velocity. Although I've heard people Mm -hmm. uh, in the Mises Institute say that uh, velocity doesn't really drive pricing. I I don't know. It kind of makes sense to me that it would. Um, Jim's a pretty smart guy. And so when he Mm -hmm. talks, I listen. Sure, Uh, But he thinks velocity is a big deal. And that's just how fast does money change hands? So I, I, I think of currency, which is what you know, what we call money, but currency, the medium of exchange dollars in an economy uh, is like blood. And if you can think of the economy as an organism, like a human body, Mm -hmm. and of course you have that background much better Mm -hmm. than me. Mm -hmm. uh, But you know, that the blood carries the nutrition, the nutrients, the oxygen to all of the cells. If you look at cells as individuals and you look at organs as organizations, collections of individuals, then that blood better be flowing. And if it's not flowing, then things start to die. They grow week. Mm -hmm. And so when you lock down everything, it's like having a heart attack. The heart's not beating, the blood's not pumping. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can maybe give some strategic injections and things that they've been doing with stimulus. But at the end of the day, you've got to get things moving again. You've got to get people trading with each other, buying and selling and money moving around. Um, the concern is, is that when you've been injecting through artificial means uh, a lot of stimulus in order to prop things up well, the heart's not beating, the minute the heart stops beating, you might have like too much in the system. And so you've got to deal with the threat of inflation at the same time that things are slow. Uh, And then you got to try to figure out a way to work yourself out of that. In the 1980s, you know, coming out of the 70s, Paul Volcker, who was a Fed chair appointed by Jimmy Carter, but actually did the work with Ronald Reagan. And sometimes, you know, presidents get credit or blame for things that the Fed is doing. Uh, And so, you know, I always look at things from the Fed perspective a lot less than the to the political party perspective, um, but at the end of the day, they jacked interest rates all the way up, as you may recall, to over twenty-one percent prime rate. It was it was basically a great reset. The dollar failed, began failing in the '60s, and the, and and you know we're talking. I'm working now with my grandson, one of my grandchildren, uh, teaching him coin collecting. And when I was coin collecting, when I was a, a boy, I watched the silver come out of the coins, and so I remember that in the '60s. And so the dollar was already failing because of overprinting in the 60s. And so they kind of stole all the silver the way they had stolen the gold prior in the 30s. They did a little bit of a reset in 45 with Bretton Woods. Uh, They did another reset in the 60s with the Coinage Act. But the big, big reset was in 1971 when Nixon finally defaulted on the gold standard and all those dollars came home to roost. That's where we had really bad inflation. Nixon instituted price wage controls. And so if you're not old enough to remember this, the president of the United States by decree uh, made uh, made it illegal for any private citizen, private business to raise their prices of their products or give any of their employees uh, uh, price or uh, wage increases. In, in the United States of America, in the land of the free, right? right. This is what happened, right. right? And so now you look at COVID-19 and you see the same draconian type of uh, dictates coming from people where they're shutting down businesses and they're telling you, you don't have the right to conduct business and make a living. And, and it, you know, I mean, you may or may agree that the, the, the Price is worth it, that the risk is worth it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, and you can debate whether they have the authority to do that or not. But the fact of the matter is, they did it the same way Nixon did it. Mm-hmm. So there's some parallels. And that's the point that I'm making. There's some parallels. Sure. Um, you know, he sent Kissinger off to Saudi Arabia and they cut the deal with the petrodollar, what became the petrodollar, which is basically all oil worldwide now, mm-hmm. largest commodity in the world being settled in dollars to create demand to soak up some of that excess with the float. You get all the worldwide float now occupying dollars that took some of the excess off. We also had to raise the price of oil uh, to so that it would suck up more uh, dollars. And this is where, you know, I call into question some of the things that I was told in the seventies about we were going to run out of fossil fuels by the year 2000, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously is ridiculous. We had such a, an abundance of fossil fuels just to, uh, last yeah. year that the, price of oil dropped to negative 40 dollars a barrel so much for peak oil right yeah so much for peak oil right but but so if if it wasn't true at the time then then maybe it was con- contrived in order to create a siphon for all those excess dollars and so that's that's something that has to happen from time to time my my point is there was a great reset then it wasn't called that but today there's been some talk about from the world economic forum in D- davos and uh, klaus schwab talking about this great reset this this idea that you know the dollar has reached the end of its shelf life and it's, it's, it's near, near failing, failure. And there needs to be some type of a reset, either to take the world off of the dollar as the world's reserve currency, something I've been watching since 2013, uh, or they need to find a way to reset it. Rickard says, hey, it's simple, just reprice gold at $15,000 and do what you did before okay, well, maybe that's what they're going to do. Maybe they're going to introduce SDRs, which is something Rickards has talked about and use Mm -hmm. that for international trade. And the dollar will just become like any sovereign currency for a specific country, but not the world's reserve currency. Maybe that'll happen. Uh, I can't imagine a scenario where they're going to jack interest rates up to try to reset the dollar. There's just way too much debt. It would would implode. Right. So I don't exactly know how it's all going to end, but I know that uh, rising interest rates is probably not going to be the formula for containing inflation. And so my thesis, and it's that's all it is, is that perhaps some of the slowdown is designed to reduce velocity to hide the inflation due to all the money they've printed. And there's no question about how much money they've printed since sure. 2008 in order to buy a little time to execute this great reset. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm watching. You know, I I can't say that I have a Uh, even a preference about how things happen, but I'm still remain very concerned about the dollar in the long term. And I think people have to have hedges against that. I think being short the dollar is probably better than being long the dollar. Real estate is a great way to do that because you can acquire the best debt there is, which is the best way to short the dollar and then acquire the income streams and the tax breaks to service it if you pick the right market and the right property. Uh, and then you just have to kind of take a wait and see approach and, and be a little bit nimble and see what they're going to do. And you know, now we've got a new administration and a So there's a new sheriff in town Uh, that's driving some energy policies, which are causing the price of oil to go up and oil and the economy are interlinked. I mean, it takes energy to Mm -hmm. do business and it's a cost of every product, every service that is offered. So when oil prices go up, that's built into everything. And and then, you know, when you get specific to things like building. Uh, lumber, I think is at an all time high or it's, it's, it's experienced, you know, substantial, uh, inflation, if you will, part of that is supply and demand. Part of that is just good old fashioned inflation, but it's a major component of home building. And so you've got those components of cost in addition to the energy. Uh, and so you've got to say, well, you know, that that's bullish for housing prices long term because you can't get a new house out of the ground for anywhere near what you, you know, used you know, based on the existing inventory, it's going to pull the existing inventory up.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it's uh, it's interesting And you li- read or listen to Jim Records, you listen to some of the others in the space who are very concerned about what's going to happen, various different uh, projections on how the proverbial shit hits the fan, you know, whether it's some kind of Bretton Woods reset, whether, you know, some sort of gold uh, standard, et cetera. Um, you know, a lot of times that leaves investors, you know, mom and pop investors, just people who are listening to this show. It leaves them in a situation going, "Okay, well, that sounds like a bad thing. What do I do about it?" And um, so, you know, my my philosophy on that has been, you know, uh, what we're really talking about most of the time here is debt and the dollar. And so the best thing to do is as much as possible, probably stay out of the dollar and and be in hard assets as much as possible. What do you uh, what do you make of that?
1: Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, you know, I'm working on a series a video series right now I call Precious Equity. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, based on a basic, very simple investment strategy uh, and an investment thesis, which is that um, real estate is perhaps in a bit of a bubble, you've got interest rates, maybe as low as they're ever going to be. Sure. Uh, and the opportunity to go short the dollar by taking out debt and harvesting that equity, and then the, the, the arbitraging it, and then trying to, you know, in this case, convert the equity into gold. If I'm going to have equity on my balance sheet, would I rather have it in the form of uh, equity in real estate or equity in gold? Well, I'd rather have the gold personally, I think, you know, based on where the gold price is relative to how everything else has moved and its history mm. as a hedge against a falling currency. Uh, and uh, I think there's a real opportunity there. So either just, just to kind of state it simply, it's, it, you'll get it right away. <laughs> you borrow a couple hundred thousand dollars out of a, property that's equity rich at 4%. You take half the proceeds and invest it at 8%. Now you're cash flow neutral. You've basically straddled. I, I, I took a loan and made a loan. And then I take the other 100000 that's free and clear, take 50000 of it, mm-hmm. open up a qualified retirement plan and drop it in there and then purchase precious metals uh, w- with it and put those precious metals in my safe. Now those precious metals, uh, the, that gold and silver, and I guess let's just call it gold for now, is owned by my qualified retirement plan, which is a pretty strong asset protection ownership structure. Mm -hmm. In my physical possession, I have no counterparty risk and it's completely outside the system, which means even if the system fails, I still have that gold. That was my real estate equity, but now it's my gold. And I picked up a tax break along the way. I wait till the calendar rolls over. I I do it again Mm -hmm. with the other 50,000. And now I've picked up $40,000 in tax breaks. I've got $100,000 of gold in my Qualified retirement plan in my safe that used to be on my balance sheet in my real estate and I'm cash flow neutral on the whole trade so, so this that, th- this that's is a, based that's a strategy
0: this is based on the the idea your 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 um, your idea that uh, real estate's in a bubble right because I think um my question would be well how is you know real estate owning real estate necessarily going to be different than owning gold, um, to the extent that I think of gold as a hedge to the, to the dollar and to inflation. But in, in that regard, so I think of real estate the same way.
1: Well, so real estate is a hedge against mm-hmm. inflation. In other words, when you own anything real, it's mm-hmm. going to retain its relative value no matter what the currency is. Right. And it's going to have real-world utility no matter what's going on. That's why you want to own things that are real, real mm-hmm. and essential. So that's number 1. When you add leverage to the mix, debt puts you short the dollar because you're exactly. borrowing future dollars yep. and buying today's assets. Mm-hmm. So real estate allows you to own something real and go short the dollar. So yeah. adding debt is what I want to do, and then I use the income and the tax breaks from the real estate to service the debt. If it's a little tight, then mm-hmm. I can actually uh, buy debt or make loans, uh, high yield mortgages, mm-hmm. uh, in order to supplement some of that income without any of the, the the same types of risks that I have, the capital risk. In other mm-hmm. words, I'm not I'm not having to go all in. If if I arbit true arbitrage is where you you take two sides of a a position and you make money on the spread, you know, it's like a bank, you go into the bank and you make a deposit, they pay you 1% and then they loan it back to you at six and they make 5% on the spread. And then you add in fractional reserve and they probably make 60% on your savings or whatever the number is. I mean, they Mm -hmm. they do well uh, doing that. You can do similar things. You don't get the benefit of fractional reserve, but you, you get the ability to do that. The thing about gold, gold is without leverage. Gold is just, a hedge, it it retains value. But if you want to make a profit without having to get the supply and demand and timing and imbalances right, then you have to add debt to the mix. Mm -hmm. And see, that's where where I say real estate is the best vehicle for acquiring debt. And then if you can use the equity in the real estate to acquire gold, now, if you get a currency collapse, it's going to be reflected more in the gold because gold doesn't have leverage built into the pricing. Mm-hmm. And so then you can use a portion of that appreciated gold to settle that debt if you wanted to. In other words, if, if I took $50,000 of gold out or, or equity out of a property and bought uh, gold at $1,500 an ounce, and it's more than that today, it's 1,800, mm-hmm. uh, and it were to go to say $3,000 an ounce, which is what Bank of America last year projected it would be maybe by the end of this year, we'll see. Um, But let's say that happens now that $50,000 of gold would actually convert back into $100,000 of dollars that you could use to retire the debt. And and that's profit. That's real profit because now you own more of the real estate, but you use the, the appreciation on the gold to pay for it. And you still got the appreciation on the real estate. You got to appreciate both assets at the same time. Right, Mm -hmm. If I leave the equity in the real estate, I only get the appreciation on the real estate. But if I pull the equity out and either buy another piece of real estate, uh, which you can do, except usually the best time to pull the equity out is not always the best time to buy the real estate. Although you can find deals, you just have to work harder for them. But- you know then you're also all exposed to real estate mm-hmm. whereas maybe you want to diversify so gold would be another Understood. way to hold equity but the yeah. point is now i get the upside if you will in terms of dollars the inflation hedging power of the gold mm-hmm. and of the real estate for the same equity yeah and that's no. the key is you have to find yeah. a way to outpace the inflation not just hedge against it and stay even if you want to grow your wealth you got to outpace it
0: right yeah, definitely. I think the uh, the thing the thing I was trying to get at was really the the gold aspect of this for me. Uh I'm not as much of a a, a gold uh, bug. I'd rather buy more real estate, but it all functionally it's doing sort of the same thing. I think you're um, your point is that you know if you want to get exposure to something else that also has resistance to inflation and you know the uh, you know potential for the dollar to crash.
1: Well, then- well, Buck, let me give you one minute of the yep. case for gold in this case. All yep. right, and the yep. reason is is because real estate is not liquid; gold is. Real estate equity is you have to qualify to get the loan, and it has to be a, a positive lending environment. Whereas uh, it's easy to borrow against gold uh, mm-hmm. because it's an, it it it's you're, you're lending against an asset. But it, and the mm-hmm. other thing is, real estate is often only going to trade in whatever currency. Uh, you the do, it's either going to be the dollar or whatever currency where the real estate is located. For most people investing in the U.S., it's only going to be dollars. Whereas if you have it in gold, you can pivot in any currency you want, right? Mm -hmm. I could sell gold and and get yuan. I could sell gold and get yen. I could sell gold and get, you know, uh, whatever. So, so there's, there's a case to be made and it's portable and it's, and you can hide it. There's some asset protection, There's some counterparty risk. There's, there's some advantages to it. I'm not saying that you want to, it's the only thing you want to have in your portfolio, but I do think that a lot of real estate investors, you know, are so all in on real estate that they don't understand that these, these other real assets have a place. And it's not a lot of people just look at gold as insurance, but if you combine gold with real estate, it actually can grow wealth. So anyway, that's, that's uh, my, my, Twenty-eight cents on that. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, it makes sense, and it's a it's a reasonable it's a reasonable uh, you know way to go. Let me um, pivot back to uh, the idea of you know stagflation now. So now let let's look at the next year or two because I think what you're talking about when you presumably when you're talking about some of the reset things happening, uh, I, I would guess that you're you're thinking of that as something in more over five years from now. Um, what happens, uh, in the next year or two?
1: Well, so I don't believe that they can allow interest rates to rise, uh, to any significance. Mm -hmm. And, but the problem is to try to keep the interest rates down. They have to print dollars and buy treasuries, which exacerbates the inflation. So if they leave the economy locked down, you continue to have stagnation and So I I think they're going to try to open the economy up Uh slowly so that it doesn't take off. I I, I believe the only other tool left in their toolbox, the one that we're likely to see, Is going to be uh, high energy costs, which they're driving towards now. I think energy policy is partly uh, not driven by environmental concerns, but by by dictating the impact on the economy and protecting the dollar. And that's just my paradigm. I just, the way I look at the world, I just look at, you know, I just look at the money and I think the money tells maybe not the whole story, but a big, big chunk of it. Uh, And then the other thing is taxes. So high energy costs and taxes are two things that I would see coming as a way to slow, hide the inflation, and it will have a metering effect on an economy that's trying to open up and go gangbusters. Mm -hmm. So I go back to the idea that if you have um, real estate... Uh, and as long as these tax breaks, as long as the best tax breaks are found in real estate, I think when people go looking for tax shelters, uh, more money is going to find its way into real estate as more people are out there making the case. You're a syndicator, you know, some of your offerings are structured primarily with the benefit of offering tax breaks, mm-hmm. to your high tax professional investors, they have a tax problem. Right. You know, they're, they're not even trying to build wealth as much as they're just trying not to be bled out on their incomes. And so, um, uh, so I think that taxes, I think we can expect higher taxes and then, and then, you know, higher energy costs will, will have a drag on the economy. They will drive people, they will make working class people poorer because, prices of goods will go up and the cost of their gas and their, uh, you know, energy, heating, transportation, all that will go up, which will drive them more and more into affordable housing. So mm-hmm. if you're, if you're focused in the affordable housing space, uh, in, in affordable markets, especially markets that have low taxes and, you know, landlord friendly, all the basic stuff, business friendly, all the basic stuff that you look for in real estate investing, you get to go short the dollar, take advantage of the low interest rates. You get to uh, get your disproportionate share of people who are moving uh, down because they're being pressured by the taxes and the insurance Mm -hmm. uh, costs. You get to pick up the tax, I mean, not taxes and energy costs. You get to pick up the tax breaks uh, and you're probably going to be the recipient of an influx of capital, other people who are seeking to do the same thing. So if you get in early, you're probably going to see some ap- appreciation. The risk, of course, that you run is that they do let interest rates run or they lose control. Mm-hmm. Now, if that happens, um, then you just have to make sure. I'm still a big fan of locking in the longest possible uh, you know, terms you can, 10, 20, 30 years if you can on your loans. Um and not, and doing everything you can, you know, to get interest only and not prepay anything, keep the right. equity out of the property. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you sure. know, so that, that, that's kind of, you know, w- what I'm watching for is energy policy and tax policy out of this new administration, uh, a combination of, you know, what and- what the Fed is going to do to try to, try to let the economy restart without overheating.
0: Yeah. So speaking of the new administration, some of the legislation that, well, hasn't really been introduced yet, but has been uh, suggested include things like, you know, getting rid of the 1031 like exchange um, and that kind of thing. Do you, these things, you know, in talking to Tom Wheelwright, who you, you and I both know, he's my CPA. Um, but, you know, Tom has said about this before and uh, that, This has been introduced uh, multiple times, uh, and it always fails for one reason or another, and it relates to the fact that there's a lot of implications to eliminating 1031 exchanges. What do do you make of this? I mean, is this just another round of, you know, trying to attack some of the real estate benefits that really, you know, are are not going to stick?
1: Yeah, I think anytime you go into a negotiation, you put a bunch of stuff on the table and then you have a handful of things that you're willing mm-hmm. to take back to give away in order to get the other side. Um, now, you know, the, the way the Congress is set up right now, you know, they don't need to give away a lot. So I would say that there's a chance that, um, you know, this particular Congress might actually take away some of those benefits, but I would say they would be the last to go because Mm -hmm. the constituencies that are affected by that are wealthy and they have a lot of influence. Right. Um, And so I just, I just don't think, I think those are things that get talked about in order to get people to the table, in order to have things to talk about when everybody's paying attention. And then when the thing actually gets passed, a lot of these things, you know, just, just end up on the cutting room floor. So that's been history. That's the way it's pretty much always worked. I I can't say just because it always has, it always will. But, um, You know, and again, that I go back to this idea that as long as you understand the debt side, it's still possible to move equity around. Mm -hmm. You just can do it through debt. You don't need to do the 1031 tax deferred exchange. um, And you can still acquire new depreciation schedules by using the harvested equity for down payments on new properties. I think the biggest thing is you want to be really. Really thoughtful about the markets you invest in and the properties you invest in, and just be prepared to be in them for a long time. Yeah, yeah.
0: What'd well, be interesting too is the other thing that I had um, been thinking about is if if there was an end to ten thirty one exchanges imminent, uh, it would probably create some significant movement even within the real estate market. People are trying to you know get their last 1031 in before the laws take effect and all that it, it would be uh, kind of crazy to see but uh, anyway um, listen uh, Russ it's been really fun to uh, catch up and talk uh, tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing um, you know you guys have got tons of events all the time and obviously those have uh, those have changed <laughs> substantially I remember a real estate guys having some kind of live event like almost every Month or two, and and so how's that going? And what are the plans moving forward here in the next year?
1: Well, 2021 was the year of learn, or 2020 was the year of learning how to do virtual events, yeah. uh, and we did it, and we did it fairly successfully. We did our uh, two C- secrets of successful syndication seminars, and all of our club meetups, mm-hmm. uh, which you're familiar with. We did our annual investor summit, not at sea, but on the screen. Uh, it was good. People enjoyed it. I think that we got a lot out of it. Uh, definitely not the same. We opened up this year with our Create Your Future Goals Retreat live in Dallas. So we had 150 people. It was great, very successful. Um, we are doing our Secrets of Successful Syndication event at the end of March. We're sold out. So is we that live, had, course, or is that we had, it's, is, live. It's, oh. it's live? It's it's live. We Robert has been back doing his Belize field trip, so he's mm-hmm. done. One or two this year has got another one on the books. We are doing our investor summit this year, not on a cruise ship, but live Mm -hmm. uh, at our resort property in Belize. And so you have to get a COVID test coming in and out of the country. But other than that, when is uh, that? When is that? That's in June. Okay. So Peter Schiff is coming. Uh, Kenny McElroy, you mentioned, is coming. Uh, Tommy Hopkins, I believe, is confirmed. We still have a few people we're working on. We're hoping, you know, with the way states are opening up that, you know, some of the restrictions. But, you know, Belize was closed for eight or nine months. uh, The Mm -hmm. borders, you couldn't even get in or out. I don't think they can do that again. They just can't afford to. So I think that the financial realities of these lockdowns, even if they are medically justified, I think at the end of the day, you're going to have to pick which devil you want to dance with. And I think at this point, people are willing to risk getting sick, or at least, you know, letting people make the choice and people who are at risk and people who, you know, have, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever preferences they have, they can choose to stay home. But there's going to be other folks who are a little bit more intrepid, more adventurous. Uh, we, got, you know, we got a lot of people signed up to come do that. So we're, we're running our life right now in 2021 the way we always did before. So Texas is just open for business. So there's no mask mandate. There's no restrictions. The hotels are still having uh, some precautions, but I think that those are going to unwind pretty quickly now uh, based on, on this, the, the, the state's leadership in that regard. So again, you may agree or disagree. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm, I'm just saying it is what it is. Um, we like getting together with people. Um, I've been doing it since last October and uh, it's been been a lot of fun. I I probably I don't enjoy traveling as much. I I try to curtail my travel. I used to really look forward to it, but I'm not a fan of what you have to go through to get on a plane and be on a plane and especially to cross borders. So but other than that, yeah, we're doing that. Um, We are more active. We're continuing to do virtual type things more often where we, we get people together and we, we talk, we, you know, built out our YouTube channel to capture some of that. Uh, and so, you know, we we added, so, you know, all in all, I think 2020 as challenging as it was, was, was good because it forced us to, to learn to do some new things and branch out in some new areas and reach some people that we wouldn't have otherwise reached. And, you know, 2021, we're going to keep all that and, and add or go back to the things that we were doing before. So we're busy and having a good time.
0: That's great. Russell Gray everyone uh, with the Real Estate Guys Radio. Check out the podcast. Also it's uh the Real it's The Real Estate Guys Radio. No, com, it's right? No, it's
1: realestateguysradio.com. Oh, realestateguysradio.com. Real
0: I know. I, I we had to get this right cuz there's lots of copycats out there. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, we're the old guys for We're, sure. the, old we're guys. the originals.
0: Yeah, look for the old guys, the originals, uh, the oldest guys you can find and it will be the right one. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> anyway, thanks again, Russ. We'll uh, look forward to having you on again sometime thanks
1: soon. Thanks for having me, Buck. It was awesome.
0: Welcome back to the show, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. It's always fun to have Russ on the show. And listen, I don't necessarily agree 100% with everything that Russ is saying and, you know, he has a slightly different perspective than me. I uh, I do tend to be a little bit more optimistic than than some and and uh, about the economy. Um, but, again, Russ has tremendous, uh, you know, he has tremendous uh, perspective and wisdom. And so it is always of great value to listen to somebody like that, um, you know, and and see what they think that's going on. What does this remind you of? Things like that. Somebody who not only uh, who, who can say that they, uh, they think that we're going to have stagflation, who's actually lived long enough to see... A world in which there actually was stagflation i I was a, alive during the last uh, round of stagflation but uh but I was a, a little kid you know so it it you know I didn't really know what was going on anyway that's it for me this week on wealth formula podcast I hope you enjoyed it if you did make sure you go to wealthformula.com and follow the links to give us a five star review this is really important if you think I deserve it give me a five star review say something nice This is how we get up in the rankings and continue to have very good guests on the show. Uh, That's it for me uh, this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off.
1: Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information
0: contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult
1: your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.